It all begins with a baby. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. God's program to redeem mankind didn't start with an army, though there will be an army. It didn't commence with a program or a fundraising campaign or any of the things we might expect. It began with a baby. We're looking at the first two heavenly signs that John saw in the book of Revelation. Here's Jim with part two of The Blackest Day in the History of the World. Chapter 12, verse 1. Look, a great sign appeared in heaven. John sees a significant visual thing taking place in heaven, not on earth, in heaven. You got that? It's a great sign, which means it is very significant. It is a sign, which means it it portends or it represents larger things than its simple visual appearance. The word sign there is, is the same word that is used often by John in his gospel when he talks about Jesus doing miracles. And he calls those miracles signs. By that he means that when Jesus healed the blind man, he wasn't just giving one guy his sight back. He was illustrating something in that supernatural event. When Jesus fed the 5,000, John called it a sign. Jesus called it a sign. He wasn't just fixing dinner for hungry people. He was doing that in order to signify, to illustrate, to teach a larger lesson. And that's what this word means here. Now notice chapter 12, verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven. Notice verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. One more time. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. All three of these signs are in heaven. They're not on earth. We're not here watching history either being unfolded or repeated. We are watching God put on a sign or a significant drama. And the drama has portent, has enormous significance for what God from heaven is going to do to people on earth. That's what that means. All three of those signs, it's the same word, we signified it, it, it means a supernatural event that is designed to teach a lesson. It's symbolic, meaning that it represents more than what it shows. Now, there are three. Tonight, we want to deal with the first two. Next week, we'll deal with the third. These are 
these are the anchors or these are the three fundamental anchors that give John and through him us insight into what's going to happen after the two witnesses are killed, after the temple in Jerusalem has been desecrated, what's going to happen next? Well, look at the first sign. It is fundamental to the trilogy. Chapter 12, verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony to give birth. First sign. Now, we're going to discover in just a few minutes exactly who the child is she's going to give birth. But when God starts to unpack, when God starts to teach us what is going to happen in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, or the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel, God begins with a pregnancy. Now, brothers and sisters, that takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It takes us back to God's promise to Eve that she, out of her descendants, would give birth to a child without the involvement of the male. That a virgin would conceive a very dramatic sign, very significant sign. God saying, I want all the world to understand that I'm doing this I want them to understand when it happens, and I want them to understand the significance of it. So when we come over into the future, and John is standing in the presence of God, and as he has moved through this, this period of time, this 70th week of Daniel, and God says, okay, John, I want you to get a clue about what's going to happen during that second half of the 70th week of Daniel, those 42 months. I want you to get a clue. God goes all the way back and says, we need to start with the pregnancy. There is a woman that John sees. He is clothed, she is clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. A crown of 12 stars is on her head. She is pregnant and she's crying out in labor and agony to give birth. Now, those of us tonight who are familiar with our Bibles know exactly who that person is. And we know exactly who the child is. This is the crux of God's redemptive program. I want you to see that. No virgin birth, no salvation, no savior. No virgin conceiving, no salvation, no savior. And when we realize that the one conceived in the womb was no less than God, the second person of the Trinity, we are standing here before what probably is the greatest miracle of all eternity, that the eternal God 
following the prescription that he promised in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, followed through. He did exactly what he promised he would do. And we need to remember that God made that promise to the woman in the presence of her husband and one other intelligent being. Who was that? Satan. Satan. So God says to John, John, I want you to understand that all that has happened and all that is about to happen flows out of the incarnation. Now, the instrument for the incarnation was a virgin, and her name was Mary. She was the instrument. She was also far more than the instrument. She was not just a maiden. And God said, ah, you know, I think I'll just, well, I'll just use Mary. No, she was the clear descendant of a legacy of people that trace their heritage all the way back to Adam and Eve through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's who she was. And the picture we have of her is larger than just a female. It's a picture that symbolizes her human nature. She is a descendant of Abraham. She is a Jewess. And when God the Son chose to come into the world, he didn't come in through the Romans. He didn't come in through the Swiss. He didn't come into our world through the Indians. He didn't become a man through the Germans. God had predisposed and pre-promised that when he came into the world, he would come of the seed or as the seed of Abraham through Isaac, Jacob. That's the foundation. And John is caused here by God to see the significance of the sign. This is what God did in his response to create a solution to the human condition. This is how God planned, prepared, and then pursued a plan that would ultimately mean the total destruction of the serpent. It begins with a pregnant woman who represents a promised people and who conceives a divine person. Got that? Now you throw away that and you got no salvation in the scriptures. You discard that, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is planned in the annals of God's history to destroy the serpent. You trash that truth, and there is no salvation. None. That's why it's a great sign with heavenly Significance. Now the second one. Notice the second one. We read in verse 3, Then another sign 
appeared in heaven. Another one. There was a great fire red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. His tail swept away a third of the stars in the heavens and hurled them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. But she gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to shepherd or to rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's Bethlehem all over again. And Satan sought to devour the child because if he could devour the child, then he could destroy God's plan. That's what that's all about. But he failed, he utterly failed. And instead of being devoured, the son, the child, the man-child, is destined is determined, is appointed to rule all nations, to rule the world with an iron scepter. By the way, it's also suggested in here that uh, there will be a third of the stars in heaven who have disaffected or disqualified themselves from ever being saved. They're part of the dragon's team. Dragon is very serious. He likes what he does. And he is determined not to permit God any corner in accomplishing God's redemptive plan. That's what this is all about. But when Jesus was caught up to heaven, again, it's the word rapture. When Jesus was caught up to heaven, that was after his resurrection, and that was his ascension to God, where he sits at the right hand of the Father. The devil can't touch him there. He is glorified, ascended, and seated. And the devil has no access to destroy him. So what's the devil do? He turns his attention to the woman, seeking to destroy the woman. And we read the, the trailer. It says there, the child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1260 days. That's three and a half years. We've already covered this last week. By way of review, this is the mid part of that 70th period, that seven week period. Jesus has ascended to the heavens. Satan can't do a thing about him. He can't overcome Satan. So he is going to try to defeat God's plan by destroying the woman. And she, we're told, she, had a place prepared by God where she flees. Now the she there is more than just Mary. And the action that's described here didn't take place back in Bethlehem. Mary did not flee to the wilderness there. Well, it's true that she pictured that when she and Joseph fled away from Herod down into Egypt as the angel told them. That was a picture of what would happen later but the ultimate fulfillment awaits a future day when this woman, her descendants, the nation that she represents, the covenant that she represents, when this one through whom the coming world ruler was conceived and became a man, when that woman, through her descendants, is confronted at the midpoint of the tribulation, she flees. She runs into the desert, and she's over there for three and a half years. Now, 
in what we've talked about, we've noticed a very special and significant woman. We've noticed a very significant and supernatural person in the serpent. We have met a male child who has resurrected and gone back to heaven in his humanity. Now we meet the fourth significant actor in this last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and his angels, his demons with him. So here's this mass, this mass movement in heaven where the archangel Michael takes full responsibilities and is empowered by God to dismiss Satan and all of his demons from heaven, never to return there again. We read that when he comes down, Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was fed for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river after the woman to wash her away or to sweep her away in a torrent. But the earth helped the woman the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. The dragon was furious with the woman and left, mark that, left, left her secure in her place in the wilderness, prepared by God, left her to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who are they? Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony by Jesus. That's who they are. So there's a remnant of this woman's descendants who flee to a prepared place. They're going to be protected there for 42 months, fed by God, protected. No matter what the devil tried to do to frustrate and destroy them, he failed. God protects the woman. God protects those folks who are the woman's descendants. But the woman has other descendants than that remnant group who fly. Who are they? Well, that's you and me. We won't be here on the earth at that time. But we are descendants of the woman. We are born again by the one who came into our world and became one of us through her womb. And there are going to be other believers in the world on earth at this time. The dragon, Satan, and his demonic hosts who are now with him are going to focus their attention on seeking to destroy them as they're spread throughout other parts of the world. That becomes very interesting. We meet the next dramatic character in chapter 13, verse 1. After John saw the woman, after he saw the beast, after he saw who the man was, after he saw Satan cast out, then John says, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. And you can read all about him there. 
You've read that chapter many, many, many times. Notice the dragon, I'm reading verse two, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, great authority. One of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded and his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was astonished. The whole earth followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. They worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war against him. A mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months. So the dragon secures a protege. Some have taught that that just as Judas was indwelled by the devil the night he betrayed Jesus, so this person, this individual, this one who formed that treaty with the Jewish nation in the first place, he is going to be indwelt by, he's going to be satanized. Not indwelt by another inferior demon, but indwelt himself by Satan himself. I don't know if I can press that as much as they do, but it's very clear that this person, this one who is being described, this beast that comes up out of the sea, and that usually pictures a Gentile, that this Gentile is immediately empowered by Satan, by the dragon, by the devil. And he acts out of the resources of satanic, not demonic, but satanic power. Demons are lesser spirit beings in Satan's army or in his court. Satan is the head honcho. And the passage is telling us that this person this person who rises out of the sea, the same one, of course, who made the treaty with Israel originally, goes through a phenomenal energizing process so that he actually exercises the authority, the power of Satan himself. God's plan began with a baby and a kind of baby that doesn't even count as a baby for a lot of people, a fetus. That's a Latin word that simply means offspring. The incarnation is a miracle beyond our imagination, but without it there can be no salvation for us. And it's the first of three great signs we're investigating in Jim's sermon, The Blackest Day in the History of the World. You can get a CD containing the entire message just by sending a gift of $7 or more. For an offering of $34 or more, you can get all nine lessons in our series with John on the Isle of Patmos. If you long to get the good news out to a world that desperately needs it, please consider helping us here at Right Start. Us is Jim and a few others on the staff, but it's mostly some anonymous folks that we won't meet until we get to heaven, folks like you. Please ask the Lord if you could be a regular prayer or giver. Thank you. You can write to us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437 Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA, or call 
800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. On the internet, we're at rightstartradio.org. You can make a secure donation there. And you can revisit Right Start Radio programs or listen to complete sermons without the broadcast edits. You can email us. We'll show you how to subscribe to the daily podcast on iTunes and more, all on the website, rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Well, we've met the beast of Revelation. Many Christians and non-Christians are fascinated by the Antichrist. More from Revelation 13 tomorrow. Please join us for the next Right Start. Thank you.